Well, the Welches have provided a wonderful introduction as well as conclusion uh, to the sermon. There is part of me that was sitting here thinking, if I give Jeff five more minutes, he can basically preach the sermon, John can come up, we can sing a hymn, we can go home. No, no, that's a, I'm, I'm paying you a high compliment. That's a high compliment. Because many, Jeff, in the room are sitting here right now, yeah, why don't you do that, that we wouldn't have to listen to you. <laughs> oh, maybe there's nobody in the room that's actually thinking that. You're not thinking that, are you? No. Thank you. I told Noel at um, the beginning of the service um, that this is the one-year anniversary of our fully live stream service. Uh, last week was the anniversary where we started a little bit of a hybrid. We were in the room here, but live streaming also. And then lockdown happened. And a year ago to this Sunday is when building was closed and we were at home. And I'm grateful for this man that's in front of me right now. Almost single-handedly. And God knows made it happen so that we can continue to be in the word even though separated from one another. God knows. The past year has seen has seen and continues to see considerable shifting of ground underneath our feet. I literally will at times think I feel the ground moving. Even within the churches, speaking with an elder this morning on the cusp of tears, and this is, this is what it's like for me. I'm, it's like I live on the cusp of tears. And I, I count that a gift from God because, because I've asked him. plan this because I asked him to, to teach me how to, how to lament and I think he was pleased to teach me and he still is even within the churches of Jesus Christ cynicism doubt it's rampant. It has led to an amazing variety of opinions and theories on everything from votes to viruses. In confused times, and I think they are, confused times like ours, I've been asking the question regularly. This isn't just good setup preaching. This is a genuine, out of my gut kind of question. Is there anything anywhere that we can hold on to? Anywhere we can turn with confidence that the voices that we hear are true, that are worth building our lives on. I'm not talking about building a thought or a theory. I'm talking about where I can park my life and know 
that I'm good. Thank God. Thank God there is. Jesus entered into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, so we too enter Holy Week with him, not riding on a donkey, but riding on his unfailing, trustworthy word. That's where I'm going to park and where I'm inviting you to come in with me. Gospel according to Luke, listen to me, Gospel according to Luke opens with these words. We may have certainty concerning the things that we have been taught. That's Luke 1.4. Luke is a doctor and he's also an historian. And he hasn't put his gospel together willy-nilly. He's gathered data. He's investigated There are numerous narratives that are going around in the first century. He has friends that are confused, and he wants to put together an orderly account that he can say, this you can trust. This you can build on. You can know with certainty that what you've been taught is true. What may we be certain about? I've got a couple of things here in these two texts that Phoebe read for us in English, one of her eight or nine languages that she speaks. Phoebe and I have this running thing about languages. Yeah, right, he'll give her a week. (laughs) Phoebe will tell you that for years I have exhorted her in her language learning due in part to my own envy and jealousy. I too love language learning, do pretty well when I have years to study it, not like her in a couple of months can speak it and do all that kind of thing. I love you, sister. Here's the first thing that we may be certain of. We may be certain Luke is going to tell us of a great gospel truth. We may be certain of a great gospel truth. I'm going to tell you what it is in just a second. And then, being the historian that he is, he's not just simply going to state. Just because somebody says something doesn't mean it's true. Boy, do we need to hear that. So Luke, doctor and historian, I would think that if he lived today, he'd be from Missouri. Show me. He's going to give us three evidences for his statement of the great gospel truth. So that's the pattern I want you to follow. I'm going to fly a banner here in a second. This is the great gospel truth that we can be certain about, and then he's going to give us, you know, running immediately on in sequence, not simultaneously, sorry, in sequence, three evidences of this great banner truth that he wants to hang in front of us. Okay? So that's the outline. Here, Here it comes. This is what we may be certain of. In Luke chapter 18, please go there with me. Beginning in verse 31. We may be certain of this great gospel truth. Luke does not waffle, as I've already said to you, in the opening of the gospel, you may have certainty. Literally, literally it says you may know the truth. Truth is something that is there, and it is graspable and transformative. You and I 
can know with certainty the truth about who Jesus is, what he's done from the beginning, and what he continues to do until the end, and when he comes back. We turn to Luke 18, where we hear Jesus telling his disciples for the third time, this is the third time in the Gospel of Luke that they, Jesus tells his disciples that they're going to Jerusalem. They don't fully understand what that means. But when you see Jerusalem pop up at this point in Luke's Gospel, you know that there's trouble coming. Jerusalem for Jesus is going to equal trouble. And now he tells them for the third time in Luke 18 that in Jerusalem he will suffer and die. Taking the 12, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is elevated, so whenever you went to Jerusalem, you had to go up, whether you're coming from the north, south, east, or west. It's elevated, so you went up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. There's the banner. Okay, That's the great gospel truth of which you can be certain, and it's the sermon title this morning, if you, if you please, that everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Write that down, please. That's the banner truth. If you take nothing else, and that's what I try to do with my sermon titles, I try to make them that catch line so that if you don't remember anything else and you remember the title, you've got the gist of what the story's about. So that's what we're talking about this morning, that whatever Jesus is telling his disciples on the way to Jerusalem, that whatever has been written by the prophets will be accomplished. You can believe that. That's the truth. You can hang your hat on it. For he'll be delivered to the Gentiles, be mocked, shamefully treated, spit on. After flogging him, they'll kill him. Third day arrives again. They understood none of these things saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. That's admittedly difficult language, and I know several of you will sit there and read that and say, well, why in the world would he hide something like that from them? Why, would, would he not want them all to know? Well, yes, but timing is everything. It's really what that's all about. God has his timing for when, when eyes are opened. I would have loved for my eyes to have been opened when I was two. It didn't happen. I don't begrudge God for that. You continue to pray for those that you love whose eyes have not yet been opened, because only he can awaken the dead. Verse 31 is an extraordinary statement. If you're a highlighter, an underliner, a circler, a note taker, write it down. It's an extraordinary statement. Everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Literally, it will be carried out to its intended goal. It's a very pregnant word there in the, in the original language, and that's what it means. There's a goal, and it's moving toward that goal, and it absolutely will be accomplished. Everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, meaning it will be carried out to its intended goal. Now, notice a couple of things of what Jesus says here before we get to the evidences supporting that Great gospel truth. The first one I've already said to you is that history has a goal. So those of you who tend to be like me, who struggle with free-floating anxiety, which is a real phenomenon for me, as I've told you over the years, history has a goal. So I am much less influenced by anything I see on TV, what little I watch of it, or read in the news, what little I do there as well. That does not cause me to lose a whole lot of sleep. A number of things do. That's not one of them. Why? Because of verses like this. I know that history has a goal and that nothing is going to derail the goal of history. 
which has Christ at its center, regardless of what any news broadcaster tells you, because nobody's going to say tonight, when you put on your whatever it is you watch, nobody's going to get up off their chair and say, Jesus is the center of this story. And those who do, I want you to exercise wisdom. Because just because somebody says Jesus does not mean Jesus. A lot of prophesying has been taking place, none of which has been true, and for which nobody is repentant. It's one of the reasons why I tremble for the church, because a lot of people are buying it. History has a goal. And here's the second thing. That the goal centers on the Son of Man. Son of Man is Jesus' most common expression for himself. It has a, has a two-fold attachment to it. Son of Man, Man, as opposed to Son of God. They're not radically different. The Son of Man immediately suggests that he's a human being, God in the flesh, which means what? He's entered into our condition and he's able to identify with each and every one of your struggles. Uh, we need the Son of Man as much as we need the Son of God. Hebrews goes to great depths explaining to us why Jesus came in the flesh. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And so you can't say to Jesus, you have no idea what I'm going through. Because he does. He's created you, and he's redeemed you. He understands. He's the Son of Man. But it also, it also fulfills Daniel chapter 7, where in verses 13 and 14, one like the Son of Man is going to come, and he's going to be a king, and he's going to reign over a kingdom eternally. That's also the Son of Man, fulfilling what the prophets have written. That he's God in the flesh identifying with us, but he's also the glorious ruler of an eternal kingdom that is spoken of in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. We may have certainty about this. Because not only has Jesus said it, but he's also, if you please, proven the worthiness, the trustworthiness of this book that hangs together, which is why I spend so much time helping you, and you'll know, you'll hear me say this all the time, helping you put your Bible together. That's why we do book by book, verse by verse, so that I can show you how Jesus foretold in the Old Testament is now being fulfilled in the New Testament. The book has one storyline, and that storyline centers around the person of Jesus. He, he himself told us this. And so, yes, this can help us with our anxiety, help us with our anger. It can help us have a better marriage. Yes, I'm never going to deny that. But if all we're doing is cherry-picking things that we need in a given moment, we're going to miss the main message of this book and where it is that we fit into that message. That's why the storyline needs to be laid out so clearly, into which I so labor. We have certainty. Now, here are the three evidences, okay? What has been written by the prophets will be accomplished. God's word's on it. And he is yet to be proven a liar. 
Here are the three evidences. And I want you to turn with me now to Luke 19, if you would, please. It's not enough, as I've already told you, it's not enough for Luke simply to state the truth. Good historian that he is, he also desires to show proof, to show evidences, if you please. Evidence number one in this little vignette. Chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, Jesus and this wee little man. declares to Zacchaeus that salvation has come to this household. That's verse 9 of Luke 19. The, the backdrop here is Ezekiel 34 and the good shepherd who will come and bring salvation to his household. Don't forget now, everything that's been written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. And so here's what I'm doing. I'm putting our Bible together with you, showing you how there is at least an allusion here to Ezekiel 34 and this one coming as a Son of Man, but also the great shepherd who will bring salvation to his own house. Today, salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus. As always is the case, Jeff the Evangelist, Phoebe the Evangelist will tell you this, that true conversion leads to transformed living. I know Jeff and Phoebe well enough that they're not going to be terribly overexcited about people who just simply mouth words back to them. They're going to want to see somebody walking in the way of the Lord. Am I right? And so Zacchaeus gives immediate evidence of having been truly converted when he says something like this. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received them joyfully. When they saw it, they all grumbled. I can imagine, right? He was a tax collector. He's gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. Don't be afraid to go to the house of a sinner. Don't be afraid to take a sinner to coffee. Because if you don't take sinners out, you're not going to take very many people out. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Rich man here now. Rich man. I'm going to give away half my goods, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Fourfold. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to the house since he is a son of Abraham. Does that mean he's earned it? He's, he's he given away all his wealth? That's how I earn salvation? No, that's not what's going on there. No, that move by Zacchaeus is an act of faith based on what God has already done in his heart, particularly when Jesus declares that today salvation has come. And this is a child of Abraham right here in front of you now. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. Everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Here's evidence number one. Evidence number one that all this will be accomplished is that the lost are found. Those testimonies you heard from the Welches, you ought to hear that as testimony of the truthfulness of the Word of God. That they're on the ground proclaiming the message in Manhattan and soon in Portugal, and that's evidence that what God is doing is true and will be accomplished. The lost are found. That's evidence number one. Here's evidence number two in this next vignette. Luke 19, in verses 11 to 27, he now tells a parable about kingdom 
stewardship. They heard these things. He proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem because they were supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. See, he wanted to, he wanted to make sure that they were not confusing politics and faith. He wanted them to be really sure that he was not on the way to Jerusalem with a thunderbolt and lightning and that he was just going to take down Rome. It's not what Jesus was looking about. It's not what he was all about. The kingdom of God is not the seizing of a government. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. It's the approximate two and a half years of salary. Okay? So figure out what you're making and what you have made. Multiply it by two and a half. That's what this master has given. He's going to go away to get a kingdom, and he's going to come back, and he's going to expect that investment to have yielded some fruit. And so he comes back, and he gets these reports. And the ten has made ten. Great, here's more for you. The ten has made five. Great, here's more from you. And then this one who's afraid of this one. He buried it, didn't earn any interest, and he's going to suffer judgment for that. As we've recently learned in Romans 12, each, each and every one of us has been given a gift, a gift from the king to be used, to be applied in his kingdom, to use for the glory of God, the strengthening and maturing of the church. This is a parable of good kingdom stewardship, and I ask you gently, those of you who have these gifts, and if you're in Christ, you've got one at least, if not more. The question is, are you investing it or are you just burying it? Because investment will earn you greater reward. I'm going to dangle that in front of you. You want more reward on the last day? Invest in what God it is that God has given to you. It's okay. It's okay to say that. Everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Here's evidence number two, being good stewards are rewarded at the return of Jesus. This is one of the ways that we know that everything that's been written by the prophets will be accomplished, that those who are investing in the kingdom will see their reward when he returns. That's evidence number two. Here's the third one. Evidence number three, the third vignette. Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 40, the so-called triumphal entry. This is a story we all know well. Palm Sunday, Jesus has prearranged for a colt to be prepared for his ride into Jerusalem, and this is a direct fulfillment of the prophet Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9 foretells one who will come riding on the foal of a donkey. Everything that the prophets has written will be accomplished. He comes into the city, the whole, you know the story, the whole multitude of his disciples begin to rejoice, and they praise God with a loud voice. Why? For all the mighty works, look at the text with me, that they had seen. See, Luke is not, Luke is not sloppy here. He is giving testimony to those who've seen evidence of what it is that Jesus has done, and they're shouting, hooray. Now, I'm not going to be the one that's going to say all those shouting hooray on Palm Sunday will be those who are yelling Friday, crucify him, crucify him. Maybe, maybe, but they're not the same group one for one. 
you've got a whole lot more commotion going on by the end of the week. Were there some that were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and then on Friday, crucify, crucify? Sure, I'm su I suppose there's some. Were there some that were mourning because they're still shouting, Hosanna? Of course. Like any mob, there's a mixed bag of reactions and responses. With a loud voice, all the mighty works that they had seen, and this is what they said, blessed, 38, verse 38 of Luke 19, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Keep reading with me, 39 to 40. If the Pharisees had their way, Pharisees, my goodness, you know, I'm so glad I wasn't alive in the first century because I never would have been a Pharisee, says he with more than a little sarcasm. Because I like to describe myself to people as a recovering Pharisee. I can be a Pharisee with the best of them. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, they just, they just don't, they're just downers. They don't want to have a good time. This is not who they want, and so they're going to get ripping mad. This ought not to be lost on us, because that, this, this is what leads to some of the confusion that's in our world today. We have this idea of the way things ought to be, and when they're not, we get angry. We even get angry at God. This is what the Pharisees are doing right now. They don't like what's going on. Their thunder is getting stolen, and this is not the Messiah they're looking for. And so they're going to they're gonna clear their throats, and they're going to get on this one who's on the back of a donkey and say, tell them to shut their mouths. Jesus says to them, let, let's, let me make something real clear to you right now. I could tell them to shut their mouths, and they would. But you know what? You see the rocks on the side of the road? You've never heard them ever say anything before. I'm here to tell you, if I tell them to close their human mouths, these rocks are going to get up in your face, and they're going to proclaim my glory louder than what you're hearing right now. All, all of creation will declare his glory. If you don't cry glory, the rocks will. Everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Here's the third evidence. Jesus, and this is what he's been called in these verses. Jesus, he's the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of David. He's the Lord. He's the King. Jesus will be praised. That is an evidence that everything that has been written by the prophets will be accomplished. Your praise under John's leadership at the beginning of the service and in a couple of minutes at the end of the service is an evidence that Jesus reigns and that what has been written in these, in these scriptures are being accomplished. Much has already been done, much is still being done, and there's some still left. I told you when I began that, praise God, in these confused times, there are things that we can know with certainty. Indeed, as you've now heard me say a half a dozen times, everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. We have God's word on it. At the end of the day, we have no higher authority than God himself. 
If God says this is true, we believe that we might understand. It's not the other way around. For those of us who are in Christ, we believe that we might understand. Because if you wait to understand before you believe, you'll be waiting a long time. The psalmist tells us that in his light, we see light. We have God's word on it. We have Jesus' birth and life. And as we'll see, we have his death, his burial, his resurrection on it. But we're not done because even more, we have his past ascension and his present session that's on it as well. Jeff made an allusion to this. What is Jesus doing right now? What is Jesus doing right now on behalf of his people? He's interceding for them. Coming toward you. Embracing you. For he is gentle lowly. Come to me, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. This is why there are missionaries. This is why we send and support missionaries. We want the lost found. We want to be good stewards of God's kingdom. We want Jesus to be praised. I told you that not only did they make a wonderful introduction, but they also make a wonderful conclusion. Do the Welches. In this, their most recent journey notes, which is available for each and every one of you, Jeff and Phoebe wrote these words. You tell me how perfect this concludes our time. This is what they wrote. Without Jesus Christ, our moving to a different continent, learning a language we don't know, and talking with people we never met would be senseless, you think? If the equation were not balanced by the fact of Jesus' resurrection, we would be crazy. I take a little bit of exception with their words right there because the resurrection of Jesus Christ does not create anything near a balance. And I know that they know that we don't want balance. We want Jesus to overwhelm sin and death. We don't want just a balance of crazy. We want him to overcome all our fears and our inhibitions. They go on to write, he came, Jesus did, came to a people that would reject, spit on, and ultimately crucify him, and then the stone was rolled away. And then there's this line that I have in bold, because it's exactly the words that I've been giving to you throughout this time of teaching today. Here are the words. Jeff and Phoebe write, we are assured by this truth. I grabbed it. I grabbed it. We are assured by this truth. And this is what they were assured by, that Jesus came to us with a mission. Honest to God, we did not talk about this. And I read this earlier in the week, and I thought, ooh la la, what have we here? We are assured by this truth that Jesus came to us with a mission. So this young couple is going to do some really crazy stuff. Jeff, in his testimony, declared that he wanted to make sense of things that were going on around him. And I almost blurted out, Jeff, lose that category right now, because a lot of what you're about to do is not going to make any sense at all. Take it from one who's moved his young family. When everybody said, wow, What? We're assured by this truth that Jesus came to us with a mission. 
And here's my conclusion based on that. It's a mission that he's called us to finish in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Is that okay with you missionaries? It's a mission that he's called us to finish in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. And like Jeff and Phoebe, we can be confident that this is mission possible because... I just would love it if you could say it with me right now. Everything that was written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. And so, yes, with that first Palm Sunday crowd, we declare and close, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. May there be peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Let's pray. What a word, O oh God. An immense gospel truth of which we may be certain. I pray, Father, for any doubt in the room right now. Right, right now. Right now. Shoo the birds of the air away so that none of the seed is pecked and taken away. Shoo away the winds of doubt and fear and worry and anxiety so that nothing is in that soil that will choke us. Shoo away pleasures, Father, to which we are addicted, to which we must have in order for our life to have meaning and identity. Help us to find our pleasure, our treasure in Jesus Christ alone because all, all else will be gone. We want to watch Jeff and Phoebe carefully and to see how, how much a hold things of this world have on them, if at all. Free them in this moment from any of that stuff. We tremble at the thought of losing worldly control and security. Oh, dear God, may in Jesus we find his control over all of the universe and our ultimate security in him that even if they take our bodies, they cannot take our salvation because everything that has been written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. It's in the name of the Son of Man that we pray these things to you, Father, and for his glory, eagerly anticipating his coming again. Amen and amen.